The following is a sermon from Pastor Timothy Borman and Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. The Word of God for Reformation Sunday is found in Exodus chapter 34, and I invite you to follow along up there on your screens and also on the sheets in front of you. Exodus chapter 34, we're going to read all the way up to verse 8. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones. And I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready in the morning, and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two tablets of stone, two tablets like the first ones, and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning, as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet He does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we often take the gift of forgiveness, the very best of your miracles, for granted. Deepen us our appreciation for the reformation that you brought about through Martin Luther that emphasized and centered us on this truth that we truly are forgiven. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. I almost decided not to preach on this text. Literally, I, I almost decided that, that there's nothing in here for me to talk about for, you know, around 20 minutes or so. You know, normally when I, when I sit down and, and look at a text, I begin with a prayer. Probably like, like all of you, when you open up the Bible, you begin with a prayer. So do I. I prayed, Spirit, open my eyes. I always do that when I begin to prepare for Sunday morning. I pray and and then I read the text ever so slowly. And by the time I'm done, usually there's some 
something that, that I just need to share, a gospel message that I have for all of you on Sunday morning. And I did that. I prayed, Spirit, open my eyes. And I read the text ever so slowly, and I said to myself, what we have here is a piling up of words about the Lord, and I don't know what I could possibly say for 20 minutes. And I came to this conviction that was so firm that I wasn't going to preach on this text that I actually FaceTimed my twin brother whom I work with on a lot of these sermons, and I said, Jonathan, I want to get to the glory. I want to get to the mountain of Exodus chapter 14. I'm going to skip ahead. And he came back and he said to me, but you can't do that, see? You can't. You, ha- you have to preach on Exodus chapter 34. And I said, why? And he said, because this is like the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. He said, this, this is the height and the climax of all of Exodus. I said, what? So I tried again. You know, I, I tried again. I, I, I asked the Spirit to open my eyes, and little by little by little, like a blooming flower, I began to see the grandeur of it all. First, my heart was drawn to just a little phrase, a little, you know, accusation, a little jab that the Lord made against Moses. He said this to Moses. He said, chisel out, Moses, two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. You hear the jab in there? The little accusation, the little offhanded remark. You know, we do this to each other, don't we? Within our marriages and when we're in our close friendships, we jab each other. Amanda does this to me. She jabs me. She said this to me the other day. She said, are you going to take out the air conditioners which you promised to take out a couple weeks ago? You hear the little jab, the little accusation, the little offhanded comment. The Lord here does that to Moses, see? He says, Moses, I didn't break the tablets. I didn't throw them on the ground and leave them in pieces to symbolize that that the covenant relationship of the Lord was just as shattered. You did it, Moses. Then the Lord gives to Moses a command. He says, chisel out new ones. And you've got to imagine this with me, that Moses, he takes that ancient hammer and he takes that ancient chisel and then all day he does this manual labor of chipping away at the rock and making a new tablet as if the Lord wanted him to think about what he had done. And I bet he did think. Lord, When I came down the mountain, was I supposed to shatter the tablets to symbolize the now broken relationship that the people have with you? Was I supposed to do that, Lord? You know, it's it's a little bit ironic because last week we saw that, that Moses far, far away, without seeing what the Israelites had done, he argued to the Lord and said, Why, Lord? Why are you going to be angry with your people? But then the irony of it all is Moses goes down the mountain and he sees what they're doing, the adultery that they were committing. And Moses does the very thing that 
that the, he had asked the Lord not to do. Exodus says he burned with anger. And he took those two tablets of stone and he threw them on the ground and they shattered in pieces. It was as if he had took the ring off of the Lord and he had said, this relationship, this covenantal relationship with my people is now dead and gone. And now Moses, he has to sit there and think about it. Chisel, chisel, crack, crack with the hammer in his hands. Moses, you did it, not me. I think that Moses probably felt justified in doing that, in shame. their I do's and I will's. The people had said, we will. We want to be in relationship with you. A covenantal relationship that is lasting and permanent. And God did this relationship. They even had a marriage banquet on the hillside of Mount Sinai. And the Lord there, He banqueted with His people at the wedding supper of the Lamb. And the people even ate and drank with God in this, this beautiful, immaculate Celia, brilliant and Moses goes down the mountain in this And he sees their adultery. He sees their unfaithfulness. Some have compared this moment when Moses comes down the mountain to, to actually seeing with your own eyes your spouse cheating with another man or another woman. Imagine that. But I think it's worse than that. This is like the bride on her wedding night taking off her wedding ring, melting it down and turning it into money and then selling it so that she can get it on with a prostitute. And then the husband walks in and he sees what she's doing. You can imagine the stab of pain in the Lord's heart. I think Moses felt justified that he had taken the tablets that symbolized the new marital relationship and he smashed them on the ground and left them there. If you don't pay attention to this part of the book of Exodus, you won't notice that there's like a black cloud hanging over it. This giant question mark. Is the Lord going to stay in the relationship? You see, because whenever there's adultery, whenever there's unfaithfulness, the offended spouse has a choice. Moses, the best that he can ask for up on the mountain is that the Lord would just relent. Lord, just, just don't destroy the people. But he didn't hope the big hope. 
He, he, he didn't hope for a grace that cannot be named. He didn't hope the big hope that the Lord would not only not destroy them, but that He would re-enter the relationship, the covenantal relationship with them, with this adulterous people. He didn't hope the big hope that God would actually forgive. But now, the Lord comes to him with these, you know, these, these jabs. These little accusations. And Moses starts to hope, could it be, Lord, that I wasn't supposed to shatter the tablets? Could, could it be, Lord, that I thought the relationship was over, but you intended to forgive? And then the Lord says, chisel out tablets. Could it be, Lord, that you actually want to renew the covenant with an adulterous people that you intend to forgive them? Could it be? I saw all of this as I, as I sat down and I studied the text. The flower bloomed even ever brighter for me as I as I continued studying the passage, and I, I started to look at the name of the Lord. And this is where my wife, she, she has such influence over me. She, she actually has this saying because she's a financial analyst. She says, the numbers always tell the story. So I did the math. I, I looked at the numbers in the name of the Lord, and there's so many. One of the numbers is this, that the Lord says about Himself, maintaining love to thousands of generations. In other words, the Lord is going to maintain love for an unlimited and unbounded amount of time. But yes, He will bring judgment and justice for a bounded and limited time for just, you know, three or four generations. I did the math. But there's more math in here too. You could look at each of the descriptors about the name of the Lord and we could count them. We could, one commentator said that this is a super abundant piling up of words about the Lord, but count them with me. Compassionate, one. Gracious, two. Slow to anger, that's three. Abounding in love. Four. Faithfulness. Five. Maintaining love to thousands. That's six. Forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That's seven. Seven times over. The perfect number. God is is perfectly, in an unbounded and limitless way, loving. But it's that seventh one. It's the seventh one that turns hope into faith. Because it's the seventh one that says this, that He forgives wickedness. But not just wickedness, see. He forgives wickedness and rebellion, but not just wickedness and rebellion. He forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. As if to say that every semantic
The Lord is saying this. I forgive them. to get how special this is. This is the first time in biblical history where the Lord says openly, clearly about Himself that I am a God that forgives sins. Moses. Moses. You broke the tablets. You didn't understand who I am. Let me tell you who I am. I forgive. I forgive adultery. I forgive sin. I forgive wickedness. I forgive. <laughs> I forgive it all. Forgiveness. Can you imagine? You know, earlier this summer on, on July 3rd, and I, I, I sent this video over in our WhatsApp group and also over on our, our email, um, Hamilton finally came out. Did you get a chance to watch Hamilton when it came out on Disney's Plus? July 3rd. I, I've been waiting because at the end of the day, I didn't want to spend hundreds of dollars to go see this musical Hamilton, but on the day that it came out, we watched it. Wonderful musical. Next day, we have this kind of active family chat. Maybe you guys too, this active family group text. Somebody puts in the group text, did you watch the musical Hamilton? All of a sudden, this conversation begins. Then somebody in my family asked this, what was your favorite part? I went back to look to see what I wrote. This is what I wrote. For me, it was the quiet uptown scene where Eliza took Hamilton's hand again. Remember that scene? Hamilton and Eliza had lost their son Philip in a duel. But Eliza had suffered a worse loss than Hamilton because not too long before that she had found out that Hamilton had cheated on her. Adultery. And she wasn't sure. She wasn't sure if she should enter back into this relationship with Hamilton. She wasn't sure if she could trust him again. During the anthem, it's quiet uptown. You see Hamilton and Eliza standing together, and there's this incredible moment where Eliza reaches out and takes Hamilton's hand. In the background, the, the chorus is singing, forgiveness. Can you imagine? And then they say it again, forgiveness. Can you imagine? And I've got to tell you, like, I, I'm such a wimp sometimes, but I started to weep. Apparently, I'm not only, the only one. If you go to that YouTube video and you look at the comments, sometimes I like to do that. There's all kinds of people who have commented on there that they got these tears jerked right out of them because forgiveness is so powerful and so moving. We get it and we need it. Forgiveness. Can you imagine? 
You know, as I, as I discovered all of this and, and I thought about what I had done when I first read through the text, I thought, how could I? How, how was it that I read this text and I was so dead to it? How, how, how could I have done that? Like, I read about this God who is forgiving everything. And I'm like, I, I, don't, know, I don't know what I'm going to say. What happened that I lost appreciation for the forgiveness of sins and does that happen to you too? Has the forgiveness of sins turned into water for you that you just take it for granted? Richard Baucom actually said that, that Christians have been, become so used to hearing the, the announcement that your sins are forgiven because of the Gospel message that Martin Luther rediscovered that we've actually become dead to it. Pastor, why are you always talking about the forgiveness of sins? There's more pressing issues to talk about. Is that you? Have you become dead to it? Because if you have, then, then maybe... ...against the forgiveness of sins itself. And yet, the name is still there. The Lord. The Lord. Gracious and compassionate, abounding in love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Your sins forgiven. Adultery forgiven. Being dead to the forgiveness of sins forgiven. Everything that you've ever done that you shouldn't have done, forgiven. Everything that you should have done that you didn't do, forgiven. Addiction, forgiven. Dysfunction, forgiven. Everything, everything, forgiven. Can you imagine? You see, one thing that's unmentioned but that is there that colors this great name of the Lord is a bloody red. Spilled over every word of the name and in between the cracks and crevices, in the blanks and in between the sentences, is the blood of the Lord Jesus. God forgives. He chose to forgive your sins and in exchange, He sent Him to the cross And then he rose him back up to proclaim once again the great name of the Lord. You are forgiven. Forgiveness. Can you imagine? I think about what we would have missed if I would have jumped ahead to Exodus 40. And by the way, you have to come next week. Exodus 40, we're going to talk about Martin Luther King and everything else. But what would we have missed? 
if we would have skipped Exodus 34. We would have missed the greatest miracle in all of Exodus. The greatest miracle is not any of the ten plagues. It's not the parting of the Red Sea. It's not not water coming from the rock. The greatest miracle is a quiet one. That the Lord, in sure grace, forgives. And He puts the punishment on Jesus. Praise God. Amen.